Well, welcome to Grace Community Church. You've already been welcomed earlier by David. I'm going to tell you my name is Ricky, and I'm the youth director here. And this is part of our worship every week. We take uh, about five to ten minutes to pray together. And when you, when you came in this morning, you should have been given a bulletin, and there's always a prayer focus in that bulletin. It may be a missionary. It may be something that's going on in, 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 our, in our world today, something we are agreeing on to pray together um, that week. And this week, you see there is a prayer focus. It's a few different topics. And the reason being is we are going to hit a few different topics this morning in our prayer time. We're going to give an opportunity for you guys to share from the floor how we can be praying for you as, as a body. And, of course, you always see a prayer request at the bottom, some more personal things. If there's ever something you want the church to pray for, we have the online tool called The City you can, you can post on. You can also call the office or email and, uh, and let us know. We'll put it in the bulletin so you see the Calvert family, David Weatherington, Callie Moody, Lisa Pelton. These are specific things we want to pray for. But we want to give a chance for you guys to share as well ways that we can be praying for you as the holidays come. I mean, this is a difficult time of year for many people. As listed out in the prayer focus, you see that um, many gather this time of year, and they can't help but remember traditions that now someone who they love is not there to share in anymore. And there is, there is grieving over this loss. We're praying for their comfort. And maybe the Lord is calling some of you to reach out to those who have lost a loved one this year. There's going to be many, many times, a few times, starting Thanksgiving and ending at Christmas. You're going to gather around the table with family members. There may be some tension. There may be some relationships that need to be reconciled. And this is opportunity for that to take place during this holiday season. Um, the Lord has reconciled our brokenness uh, with him by pursuing us, and we are called to do the same way. So we're praying for the, for the, the wisdom that the Lord will, will give you to how, how to approach these conversations, the, praying for the boldness to reach out and to begin the conversation. And also we're praying for the church to be expanded during this holiday season as people reach out to be satisfied by uh, toys where the batteries just die and you need more batteries. And maybe by the chocolate-covered cherries where you only get two trays. There's not a third one down there. You really just want more. And you keep reaching out. And everything in this world that we enjoy is to give us a glimpse of what God wants for us. But it's not going to be something that you have completely in this world. Our, our longing is for what's to come. And we have the answer of what that is. Um, what has already began uh, with Jesus, with a baby that was born in a stable. We, we have the answer to what people are searching for, and that's Jesus. So pray for the boldness, for the opportunities to be able to share Jesus during this holiday season um, with the lost. Give us a heart for the lost. So I'm going to just step down, and I'm going to give you an opportunity. You can stand, if you're able, and share how we can pray for you um, this, this, this week. I encourage you, if you have a pen, to write it down so you can remember that. If not, uh, pray silently as you hear, um, even as people talk. And we will spend some time in prayer um, in, a, in a few minutes together as a congregation as well. So let me, let me encourage you to be, to be honest. You know, we're not a people that come together who, who have it all together. If we had it all together, then we wouldn't need anything. We wouldn't need the Lord. So we don't come here as perfect people who don't have problems and who don't reach out for help. If we didn't need help, then we wouldn't need the Lord, and then he would have come for no reason. But he didn't. He came because we were broken people that need to be saved. We're a weak people. And God loves 
weak people. And you may say, what? How can God, how can God love weak people? What kind of God loves weak people? My question would be, what kind of God comes in the flesh and dies so that people can know him, so that he can have his church, he can have his bride? Let's be honest. We know that we're weak. We know that we need prayer. We know that we need one another. The Lord has given the church to help sustain the church. He's given the Holy Spirit to the believers. And uh, we don't come acting like we have it all together, but as a people knowing that we need help from the Lord. So how can we be praying for you? What's an area in life, whether it's you, it's someone else, that we can say, you know what, I need to see God in this right now. I need him. So, Josh? Let's pray, let's pray for that family. Now, what's, what's her name again or, or his name? Lindley. Little girl. All right, who? Holly, okay, let's, let's pray for Holly's little daughter, Lindley, Josh's niece. Is there anyone in the congregation right now that would like to, to pray for this family as they're saying their goodbyes to a, a four-year-old child? Yeah, thanks, Gary. Amen. Let's continue to pray for Lindley's family as we go throughout the rest of this day. Pray that uh, her family will know that the, the final time she closes her eyes on this earth will be the first time she opens them for eternity and to never die again. Her life is just beginning. How else can we be praying for you guys or the ones that you love? Yes, why not? Okay. Let's be praying for Vanessa, Winona's sister. Gets a report tomorrow, you said, right? How else can we be praying together? Miss Cat? How many of you guys know someone that needs to find Jesus? We all do. Absolutely. My father needs to find Jesus. We definitely have loved ones we can be praying for, and they will find Jesus. He can be found if they're looking. He's there. How else can we be praying? I'm missing one. Yes, Rod. 
Pray for peace this year as we travel and the world's not as safe as it used to be. So pray that the Lord will redeem the time as you're on interstates for hours. And uh, absolutely, when we see people hurting in accidents, we, we pray that the Lord will come. How else can we be praying? One more. Yes, Bert. Let's pray for Bert's brother, Russell, who's going through a life crisis. He will know the Lord is near. Let's just take a few moments in silence to pray. And I will close this as we transition uh, to the next segment. And Lord, as we prepare to give an offering to you, Lord, who are we to withhold from what you have given us? Lord, you have given us your son. Lord, you have given us eternal life. Lord, you have given us hope. You have given us peace. You've given us endurance, perseverance. You've given us purpose. Lord, we thank you for loving us first. Lord, we thank you that we get to love others. Lord, as the church, we get to show the love of Christ as best as we can with our depraved minds and hearts. Lord, we get to practice forgiveness. We get to practice mercy. We get to practice giving grace. Lord, we get to give gifts. And Lord, let this all be worship. Lord, let it all be out of a response to our creator, God, who did not remain separate from us, Lord, but came down to meet us in our weakness and our sinfulness. Lord, we pray that you will be honored in the way we live our lives during this next few weeks. Let the world see, Lord, that we have a hope that has come and that we can tell them it's Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. Good morning. morning. (laughs) Make sure this thing's on. Well, my name is Lee Williford, and it is my pleasure uh, to serve here at Grace Community Church um, as an elder. Um, Not entirely sure how I ended up here today preaching, um, but I thank the Lord for the opportunity. You okay, David? Second time this morning. Oh, man. As long as you don't have to replace anything. If not, I have to put it in the budget for next year. (laughs) Over a few months, I think, and a few conversations with Brad, somehow I ended up having responsibility to preach this morning. But I am absolutely thankful for such an incredible opportunity. If you're here this morning and you're a regular, obviously you did not get the memo that I would be preaching. Or perhaps today is your first day here at Grace Community Church. Uh, Regardless, let me say thank you. Thank you for being here to worship as a body here at Grace Community Church. We are going to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 
We're going to welcome the Spirit of God to dwell among us, and we're going to present corporately our praise to the Father. As you can see on the screen, we're working through the book of Hebrews. It's a challenging yet beautiful book that Brad has has done an excellent job uh, presenting to us so far. The author of Hebrews, who still at this point remains nameless, has thus far worked to remind us of a few things. They are the superiority of Christ, the purpose of the incarnation, the greatness of our salvation, and the warning of its neglect. The founder of our salvation, the failing of God's chosen people, and the need for God's rest. As we continue our study this morning of the book of Hebrews, today we'll be looking at chapter 4, verses 14, 15, and 16. These verses serve as somewhat of a a hinge, a, a turning point for the recipients of this letter from an exhortation of Christ as superior above all things to the appointment of Christ as our great high priest and once and for all superior offering and heavenly ministry. If you will, this morning, please stand with me as together we hear the word of the Lord. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Father, this morning I pray that your word will pierce our hearts, that it will change our lives, and that it will move us to be in awe of you, that we will recognize the superiority of Christ in our life and the work that he did when he was here on earth and that he is doing today in your presence. We love you and ask that you join us here as we hear your word today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you spent any time in the Old Testament, then you're familiar with the work of priests. If you haven't, then I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a background info. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the priests of God offering sacrifices for the atonement of sin for the people of God. Priests, through their lineage and very strict selection process, were chosen among the people to serve as their representative to God. Whether it was on top of a mountain in the tabernacle, or in the temple, God's people needed a representative because of the condition of their hearts. The high priest in Jerusalem would offer a sacrifice once and for all on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. He would make his way into the temple, as you can see here, through those big doors in the front, passing through the holy place beyond the veil that split on the Day of the Crucifixion, and into the Holy of Holies. Here, the priest would offer the sacrifice without blemish, sprinkling the blood 
of the sacrifice upon the mercy seat of God. He would do this over and over and over again, year after year, to once more make right the people of God's relationship with their creator. Even the priest had to make a sacrifice for himself so that he could be the representative of God because he was unworthy of making the sacrifice in the first place. He had sin that needed atoning for. And the cycle would continue for years and years until one day, one glorious day, when the time would come for the sacrifice without blemish and the great high priest together. He was to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. Jesus, the Son of God, who would ascend into heaven from the outer court into the Holy of Holies to sit at the right hand of God. No longer would we need to make sacrifices and no more was the atonement of God simply for the Jewish people. The deep cavern that separated us from God had been bridged by our great high priest, gloriously standing between us and the Father, leaving his children separated no more. As Brad said a few weeks ago, salvation was completed by Jesus' suffering, and that could only occur if Jesus was one of us. In Matthew chapter 4, we're told that Jesus was tempted by the devil. You may remember that. In fact, we're told that the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted there. Now certainly, Jesus was not tempted by the Father because he does not tempt his people. James chapter 1 tells us as such. But we are tested by trials so that our faith can be strengthened and steadfastness can be produced in the process of believers growing in holiness. However, God never directly engages us with temptation, which could then lead to an act of sin on our part. So, Jesus spends 40 days and 40 nights hungry and alone in the wilderness, reminding us of his humanity and ability to sympathize with us in our weakness. We cannot forget that Jesus was made like us in every respect, as we learned just a few weeks ago in Hebrews chapter 2. He was the Son of Man, flesh and blood. He faced the full force of temptation, and those temptations were real. Satan was begging him to sin, but because it, it would completely destroy our plan for salvation. He suffered great pains from his temptation, but held fast, never sinning. Thus, suffering from temptation without sin, allowing him to become our merciful and faithful high priest, representing us, his people, before the Father. Charles Spurgeon, in a very long sermon, very long sermon, on simply verse 16, said that the God of grace sits upon the throne of grace, and so grace reigns supreme at the place where God meets with us in prayer. Jesus, seated on the throne as our representation, reigns supreme in grace and mercy. His life 
as one of us, the Son of Man, has granted him the ability to sympathize with us, his brothers and sisters. He cares for you because he knows the weight that this world has to offer. And now he sits on the throne where he can, we can freely receive his mercy and find his grace. Today, I hope you find peace and comfort in knowing that. That he suffered greatly and deeply understands your suffering. Before we go any further into our text this morning, grant me the privilege to ask you, what are you struggling with today? What temptations has Satan thrown your way to distract you from your faith? How does, suffering, how does Jesus' suffering help you in your suffering and in your time of temptation? How are we to be encouraged by this? What does it mean for us as his body? What are we as believers to do? When I hear the word confession, I think about one of my favorite television shows, Law and Order. Insert, boom, boom. <laughs> I love that sound effect. Growing up, I just loved to watch it. The police detectives would receive a case. They would work extremely hard, sometimes too hard, to gather evidence. They'd bring the suspect down to the station, throw him in a dark room with a bright light, windows covered with bars, and they would hammer, hammer, hammer until they got the confession that they were looking for. The author of Hebrews is not cornering the readers of this book, this letter, into a dark room as perhaps Detective Stabler and Detective Benson would on Law and Order. No, the recipients of this letter were most likely already there. And he isn't looking to nail them for something they had done wrong. What he is doing is lovingly and graciously encouraging them to take responsibility for the faith that has been imparted unto them. He is referring to the very humble, formal profession of faith they share in the ministry work of Jesus Christ that I pray you count yourself a part of. The Apostle Paul, to encourage his friend Timothy, referred to it as the good confession that was made in the presence of many witnesses. It is the same confession that Jesus Christ spoke in front of Pontius Pilate. And we, church, we are being told not to loosely hold on to it as something that can slip from our hands at a moment's notice. But we are told to hold firmly, which requires consciousness and strength. You and I know well that even our, in our comfortable little part of a world, America, the beautiful, the brave, we cling, clinging to our faith can be difficult. It has been seemingly easy for many, many years, but perhaps for you, it's growing a little more difficult. And it will continue to grow more difficult as time passes by. We face consequences even now, for professing Jesus as Lord, the one true God. Most of these consequences we find to be difficult to face, even uncomfortable at times. 
by holding fast to the confession of our faith, we are rejecting the ways of this world for ourselves. Not for non-believers who do not claim our faith. We, mighty church, we must be fleeing what we know to be wrong and vigorously pursuing a virtuous way of life as detailed in Scripture over and over again. At least, that should be the goal. Sometimes the goal can be extremely difficult to reach. But thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit. Today, you may find yourself in a situation you know to be wrong. You're involved in a sin that seemingly has taken over your life. It has consumed you, and it has darkened even the brightest part of your spirit. Perhaps it's something that you would never, ever want anyone to know. Or maybe you've posted it all over Facebook, because in today's social climate, hey, it's okay. Let me encourage you, even challenge you from one believer to another, to meditate for a moment on your confession of faith. Is it your confession of faith? Or is it our confession of faith, of which the author of Hebrews so humbly counts himself a part of? A faith that says we are trapped in our sins, in need of redemption, found only in Jesus, the Son of God, who was born of a virgin, is part of the glorious Trinity, who lived a sinless life, died horrifically on a cross, and on the third day was raised to life to sit at the right hand of the Father. Do you acknowledge God's call for you to repentance and your need for a Savior? Have you experienced new life made possible by the Holy Spirit of God? If you have not, now is the time because we are not guaranteed tomorrow. If you have, praise the Lord. And I invite you to celebrate with us in communion a little later in our time together in the service this morning. Either way, I encourage you to search your heart so that you may, in fact, with confidence, draw near to the throne of God. Drawing near to God plays such a vital role in the life of a believer. In fact, James, a servant of God and the brother of Jesus Christ, tells us that when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. This is something that we must do as believers. Do not neglect your time with the Father. We are told to approach him with confidence, not with arrogance or pride, but with bold frankness, reverence, and assurance so that we may spend time in his presence, in his throne room, an intimate place with our heavenly Father who loves us, who graciously and unendingly pours out his mercy and grace to meet us in our time of need. We hear again from Charles Spurgeon, who described prayer in this way. True prayer is an approach of the soul by the Spirit of God to the throne of God. It is not the utterance of words. It is not alone the feeling of desires, but it is the advance of the desires to God 
the spiritual approach of our nature towards the Lord our God. True prayer is not a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance, but it is deeper far than that. It is spiritual commerce, communion with the creator of heaven and of earth. If you're anything like me, you naturally tend to shy away from such a calling. I confess, it is one of the places that I am most weak. Oftentimes, it's life's big events that tend to prompt us in our need of prayer. Lately for me, it has been for deep, restful sleep for my wife and our new daughter. (laughs) And my wife has been so gracious the past three nights, she has let me rest in the guest room. (laughs) Otherwise, I may have fallen asleep while standing here today. Certainly, prayer can be short and it can be sweet. God loves even the smallest amount of time that we spend before him presenting our our needs and our desires. But the author of Hebrews seems to be encouraging us into something deeper. For us to connect with the Father through the Spirit by the work of Christ. To enter into communion with him. It doesn't take a doctorate in theology, simply a humble spirit. God, through the author of Hebrews, is telling his people, Come, the door is open to the throne room. The king is eager to listen. His mercy and grace are there, ready for us at a moment's notice to meet us in our time of need. Last Sunday, Brad spoke about the one material, animate object that means the most to us. I hope that question stirred some challenging thoughts and some interesting answers around the lunch table. For me, it is an image that popped into my head. It is the image of a painting that I hold in high regard. This painting has spoken to me ever since the first time I saw it. Many years ago, when my parents, who are here today, first purchased it. It is a beautiful replica of Britton Riviere's Daniel's Answer to the King, painted in 1890. Thanks, Kathy. Perfect. Thanks, Benny. As you can see, it may be a little more difficult to see here, on the screen, here we have Daniel, a Jewish servant of King Darius, locked in the den of lions. Despite his surroundings, he seems very relaxed, almost in a state of meditation, with his gaze towards heaven, looking through a small window. The lions Riviere painted are curious of Daniel's presence, aware he's there, however, seemingly barricaded from approaching him. Of course, this is art, and it is simply the artist's rendition of what he thinks of Scripture. But it certainly helps us to visualize Daniel's circumstance. Daniel, a servant of the king, found himself literally in the lion's den. His colleagues, upset with his 
performance and his duties to the king and his promise of the king to elevate him in his status, they get together and scheme to have Daniel done away with once and for all. With knowledge of Daniel's faith and his active participation in prayer and praise of his Lord, they use this to bring him down. They recommend the king impose a moratorium on his people from praying. If you've listened to the news this week, that may be a little bit more real to you. A law that would forbid anyone from praying to anyone or anything other than the king himself. With the penalty being death by feline. So here we have Daniel, a well-respected servant of the king sentenced to death for his profession and his practice of faith. He has found himself alone, surrounded by the enemy, guilty of breaking the law simply for belonging to the Lord and choosing to hold fast the confession of his faith. Do you relate to this picture? No doubt the readers of this letter would. They too were faithful servants, having found themselves alone, perhaps abandoned, surrounded by the enemy, being blamed for the ills of the Roman state, having suffered deep persecution. Their property had been plundered. Perhaps they, even their friends, had been thrown into jail. They were seriously questioning the substance and importance of their faith. Its practice and its purpose in their life. Perhaps you've been there. I know I certainly have. Maybe you're there today. Which is what makes this book, and particularly this passage of Scripture, so meaningful. Possessing a saving faith did not prevent our brothers and sisters from pain, trouble, heartache, or even from death. No, it did not keep them from danger. It moved them. It moved them from a dark room where they feared and trembled into the presence of the king. They were made confident in their faith. This is his promise to us. To be well taken care of with mercy and grace in our time of need. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your unending mercy and grace that took obedience by your Son, our Savior, to fulfill. I thank you that you so graciously and lavishly pour it out upon us. I pray today that we will recognize the importance of our faith in our life, the practice of it, the confession of it, and that we will move into your throne room to receive mercy and find grace. Father, today as we transition to the Lord's table, I pray that you will convict our hearts of any sin that may inhibit us from communion with you. 
Lord, I pray that your spirit would show us and move us towards repentance and that it will encourage us in our walk with you. Father, I thank you for the table which brings us together as a body to visually and actively participate in the sacrifice that you gave us. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for the people who experienced the difficulty of receiving this letter, for the author who wrote it, and for your spirit who delivered it to us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.